Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, good to be with you. It's been a little while, you know. I've been saving up a few words for you, so watch out. You know, I'm uh, looking forward to being here together. And I don't know about you, but I have um, really enjoyed the book of Ephesians. It is one of those go-to books for me. It's like, uh, you know, I, Psalms, Gospels, and, and the book of Ephesians, kind of a place where I seem to land when I'm looking for something for some encouragement. And so in these first, the first half of the book, I, I would say the theme of the, the first half of the book is all about God, right? I mean, it's about what Jesus has done for us, and, and he expresses it in such a, an amazing way, the Apostle Paul does. And then now we've kind of been looking at the last half of the book, and today we're going to be looking at chapter 6 in the book of Ephesians. I'm wrapping up the series on, on Ephesians, and so... You know, I've been thinking about chapter 4. It's like in light of all that, that God has done for us through Christ, how is it that we are to live? How are we to, to mature in Christ and grow up into him who is the head? And then chapter 5 is this idea that we're to imitate Christ and, and to, to imitate him in our, in our relationships, in our life, in our living. And chapter 6 sort of continues that, that conversation, at least the first part of the chapter, about how we're to live as imitators of Christ in our family life and kind of our workplace uh, and those kinds of things that we can find that. But I want to start at verse 10. And this is what it says in Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, it's a final word. Paul says this, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, I was reading that and kind of first first reading, it was like, okay, buck up, be strong. And then, then I kind of read the last half of that and it made me pause just for a moment. In his mighty power. What does that mean? Well, the ESV, another translation of the Bible says, in the strength of his might. So I'm to be strong, but to the measure of his power. To the measure of God's power. I'm like... That's a little mind-blowing, just to think about that for a second. That, that's an amazing statement, that, that I am to be strong to the measure of God's power, his strength. Now think about that. God spoke the world into being. We learned in chapter 1 that he exerted this power. He raised Christ from the dead. He, he rescued us. He put, first he put all things under Christ's feet, but then he promises that, that he will seat us with, with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's the power that, that he's talking about. The power to, to break down walls, these divisions between Jew and Gentile. The power to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. That's the power in which I am to sort of measure up to or I can experience. And I was like, What? How is that possible? You know, so the first part of that I've got, so is this me just putting on my Jesus muscles, right? No, there's something unusual about that first part. The first word, in fact, is actually, I, I, I decided that I would look at the original language that Paul uses, and it doesn't come across in English, but it is in Greek, this idea that this power to be strong it's an imperative, but it's a passive. In other words, it's not something that comes from within. It's something that comes from outside of us that we can experience. 
So this power to be strong in the Lord is not simply powering up or exercising sort of my Jesus muscles or my physical strength or my strength of personality or this idea that I'm powerful. To be strong in the Lord is not the absence of human weakness or fear or pain or disappointment. To be strong in the Lord is to be a person who is humbly and courageously, fiercely trusting God that he is at work in places that I don't often see or in ways that I don't often understand. In fact, when I'm weak, when I'm afraid, or I feel powerless, is often the time that God's power can be most evident in my life. So, I want to illustrate that a little bit. I was trying to think about how, what does that look like, you know? So, I'm confessing to you I stole this from children's ministry, okay? <laughs> Sorry, Grundy, kids, if you're missing this. This is, uh, this is just a little hand toy. And by the way, where were all the cool toys when I was going through kids' stuff? I mean, felt board? <laughs> anyway, these are magnets. And it's interesting to me that magnets have do two things, right? They have the power to attract, or two forces. I don't even understand all the physics of it. They have the power to attract, but also they have the, the power to repel, right? So you've, you've got this attraction kind of thing going on. In fact, it's stuck there. But it also has the power to repel. Isn't that, that interesting? Can you see that? No. There you go. I mean, it, it is fascinating to me. So that's the attraction. And I have the power, it also has the power to repel. And I think about that, that's kind of like my life, right? I have the power or the, the possibility that I can attract God's grace, his power in my life, or I have the sort of the pride in some ways to sort of go my own way and, and repel it. God's grace and his power. And so, the question I think that I want us to, to wrestle with, and I think what Paul is inviting us to wrestle with, how can my life be a magnet for his grace and his power? So that I can experience what he's talking about. How can my life be an attractive sort of place where God's power comes in? Now, the, the funny thing is, it's often my willingness to be weak, to be humble, my honesty, my vulnerability, my willingness to be vulnerable, to be honest with myself, to be honest with God, to be honest with self. That's what often attracts God's grace, God's power. In fact, it's, it's this divestment of human strength where God's power is often on display. It's very counterintuitive, but, it, but it's true all throughout Scripture. You see it all over the place. In fact, you, know, you can kind of follow Moses and Joshua, but I want to I focus on an Old Testament character, character just for a minute. His name is Gideon. Some of you maybe know Gideon's story. You'll find his story in Judges chapters 6 and 7. It's a fantastic story. This context is this. The Israelites have disobeyed God, and so he's handed them over to the Midianites. And they're not good. They're not good people. They're not treating the Israelites well. And you, you suddenly get introduced to, to Gideon, and he's uh, 
actually outside underneath an oak tree, and he's shucking his wheat at a wine press. He's sort of hiding himself from the Midianites because he was afraid they would take his food. When an angel of the Lord comes to him, and he pronounces his, hey, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, are you talking to me? I'm not so sure. And yes, in fact, the angel of the Lord says, I have handed over the Midianites into the Israelites' hands. And he says, oh, well, that's fine. So who are you going to have do that? You. Not me. I'm from the, the weakest of clans. I'm, from, I'm, not, I'm a nobody, right? And he has this sort of conversation with, the, with this warrior, this angel of God who speaks to him. He says, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? And so they have this back and forth, this idea that, well, so do I need to kind of power up and get my muscles on? And so Gideon's have this conversation. And he does some things. He's really afraid, but so he tries some things, and he's doing it, and he has some success. And in the end, you know, God's being patient. No, I want you to go in, in my strength is what he was told, but, but Gideon's trying to figure out what does that mean. And so he eventually tries some things. He, he ultimately rallies an army on God's name. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you the Midianites. And so he rallies this army. The army is 32,000 men. It's strong. And this is what God says to him in chapter 7. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. So Gideon's like, uh, what does that mean? I want you to go, and I want you to get rid of a whole bunch of those warriors. <laughs> in fact, his group of 32,000 becomes 10,000. And God says to him again, you've got too many people, too many men. And Gideon's like, uh, what do you mean? He said, I want you to go to the river, and those who cup their hands in a certain way, I want you to take those. Well, that ended up being 300 men. So we went from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. And God says, okay, I can work with this. And Gideon's like, what, what are we supposed to do? He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take jars. I want you to put torches in the jars. I want you to take your trumpets, really good weapons of war, right? And we're going to go spread out around the camp. And sure enough, that's what they do. They go spread around the camp, and then Gideon gives a signal, and they break their jars, What's that? Evidently, it was very intimidating because the Midianites scattered and then they lit their torches and then they blew their trumpets and there was total chaos. And the Midianites fled. Why? Because in their weakness, God was strong. And God was afraid we'd be counting, they'd be counting on their own strength, thinking that they had done something. Here's the deal. The Apostle Paul says this also in, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He says this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
It is your weakness that often is the magnet that attracts God's grace. Your willingness to say, I need help. I am not strong enough. I am not powerful enough. I am not able to overcome. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will all the more gladly, I would boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. As I learn to trust God, am I learning that it is my weakness? It is my need for God that becomes a magnet for his grace and for his power to be displayed in me. I think that's what Paul is talking about. So he goes on. So how is it that we attract God's grace and his power? Well, he says this. In verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, he's saying this. Look, you need to recognize that life is a battle. In fact, we are in the middle of what he would call a war zone. And our enemy is real. And he's powerful. And if you're willing to sort of admit you're in over your head, this is an enemy that I can't fight on my own, I'm going to give you my grace and my power. And I think it's so true, we need to be reminded that this enemy is real, evil is real. We live in a, in a world that, that life is a struggle, it is a battle, my friends. In fact, he describes this enemy, if you will. He says it's personal. It's not like, you know, fighting on a video game. It's not out there somewhere. It is personal. It's more like a wrestling match, hand-to-hand. It's supernatural. It's not that other people are the enemy. The enemy is this supernatural being who's cunning and crafty and powerful. In fact, I, I think we can go a couple of different ways with this, can't we? We can sort of overreact sometimes. We can go to a place where we can over-spiritualize things. And I've been around people that, that tend to do that. They can see the devil in almost everything, around every corner. There's the devil. Now, I don't know if that's all that helpful, right? But the other place we can go is that we can live as if the devil doesn't exist. There is no evil. And I don't think that's helpful either. And sometimes I think we need to be reminded, friends, if we are Christians, unless you're an atheist, you have this worldview that there is a God, that there is a spiritual reality that is beyond ourselves. And Paul is saying, look, you need to recognize this reality exists, and it is powerful. I mean, just as I was preparing this message a couple of weeks ago, I, I got a call from a dear family in our church and it, it was through their extended family, they had had a tragedy. A young dad, a, a father of two children, had taken his own life. Now, there's not a lot of human answers for that, friends. That's evil. 
You know, I know that some of us have been, you know, we, we just keep thinking that if so-and-so would just change, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a friend, maybe if I just did more to make them change, but, but I have to say to myself and I have to remind myself, I don't have the power to change a heart. I don't have that. If you think you can change somebody, good luck with that. Or you think about all that's happening in our world. There is evil on display. There is evil on display. And part of being a magnet for God's strength is recognizing that I, I'm in over my head. You know, my friends in recovery, they know that, that an attachment or an addiction, there's something more going on there. Something beyond themselves. And the first step to actually getting over it is actually admitting to say, I'm in over my head with this. I can't do this. I can't change. I need help. I need to recognize that there is a, a battle going on. You know, a few years ago, I got invited to go on a trip to Haiti, and I, I don't know if you signed up today to experience some of what we're doing on the other end of the building, but I hope you, hope you did. But in Haiti, we, we went to our partners, which is uh, UCI, and John, John, and Christy, and I was introduced there, I think, to this spiritual reality again. I was reminded that they live very differently with this. They, they kind of know that this, this battle exists. In fact, John John was telling me about his story and how his father was murdered by a witch doctor. And so when they planted UCI and they put it where it was, they sort of understood the spiritual dimensions that were going on around them. In fact, they counted at one point more than 50 witch doctors that were practicing voodoo in and around their, their territory, their, their compound, if you will. And over time, really through... God's sort of grace and power and, and John John's witness, they were, they were literally those, they'd either moved, <laughs> these witch doctors, or they'd converted to Christ. And when we were there, John John had been in, in contact with what he knew was the last known witch doctor in that area. And he, this witch doctor had come to him. And, you know, those witch doctors really manipulate spirits. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to cast spells. They're trying to control people and create fear. They're like thugs, to be honest with you. And John John had been in contact with this one, and this one, he wanted to know about John John's God. And he was contemplating this idea. And so he met, they talked, and John John was very cautious and over a series of months, he came to the place where he wanted to give his life to Jesus. And we got to be a part of that. It was amazing. So we go, and we're around his house, and John John's deal with him is was, you have to renounce, you have to turn away from everything that you ever believed in and thought. And so every relic, everything needed to go onto a pile, and we're going to light the light the pile on fire. And, and it was amazing, friends. 
I literally thought I was watching a person right there in front of me going from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light or going from death into life. It was an amazing experience. We circled around the house. We were singing songs. We were praying. And then we began to see people coming out of their houses around the hills around there. And there was something amazing happening right there. But it had nothing to do with us. It was God and his power overcoming evil. You know, it's something about being there that, that it, feels, it felt like it, it lifted the veil away and I got to see the spiritual reality and sometimes I think there the veil is maybe thinner than it is here. In our own affluence, in our own sort of kind of intellect, we can whitewash or we can cross over and forget our lives are in the midst of a battle, friends. And the way we're going to attract God's strength is recognize that I need help. I'm not strong enough. I'm not strong enough to deal with the things that are happening in my life. I need help. And so as Paul says this, so what do we need? We need the resources of God. That's what we need. I need to put on. I need to act in and put on the resources of God in my life. That's how my life becomes a magnet for his strength and for his power. Am I willing to use his resources? He says this, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You know, here, here is Paul. He's in prison. He's likely chained to a Roman soldier. That's how they would make sure the prisoners wouldn't escape. escape. So he's likely chained, chained to a Roman uh, warrior. He's, he's looking out, I'm trying, he's trying to describe these, these ideas, these concepts, these spiritual realities, and he's looking at the Roman war, it's like, it's like putting on that, and he uses these physical objects to describe these concepts, this idea of God's resources for us. So he says, put on, put on God's truth, this, this idea, I, I have a friend who will say this often, he says, you want to mess with the truth, you will never become the person God intended you to be. Think about that. If you mess with the truth, what you know to be true, what you know to be right, what you know to be and act like it doesn't apply to you, you will never become all that God intended you to be. So the question is, am I willing to submit or surrender to God's perspective about who he is, about who I am, about how I'm to live my life, Am I humbly submitting to that? Because in my willingness to be vulnerable and humble and, and submissive to that, then I experience God's power. Or if I think I can create my own truth, or if I'm simply going to lap up the truths that are out there, the narratives that are out there in the world, I'm, I'm going to be sort of repelling what God wants to do in me. 
Or am I willing then to put on this breastplate of righteousness? What is Paul talking about? It's right living, right living between God, right living between human beings. It's righteousness, this idea. In other places, Paul has laid out for us this this concept that there was one who knew no sin. In other words, he was perfectly related to God, perfectly related to human beings. He knew no sin. His name is Jesus. And he took on sin for us. Why? So that we might be brought to God. And it is by faith, by trust, by humble submission to him that he infuses us with his righteousness. He infuses us with his character. He infuses us with his holiness. But it's a willingness to surrender and trust him. Am I putting on the righteousness of God? This breastplate of righteousness. Am I having my feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace? I I kind of like this interesting image. I was reading a commentary about it. He was trying to describe this, and maybe it'll help you envision, but he was talking about the Roman boot. He said it's it's not really some kind of light thing, you know? I've got my, my dudes on. They're light. Now, these would have been metal, he was saying. Probably like metal cleats, really heavy. And the idea is that when you're going to battle, which is mostly hand-to-hand, you need to stand and stand firm. And so if you're on the rock, is, is your life prepared to stand? Even when there's chaos going around you, is your life fitted with the gospel of peace? In other words, are you rightly related to God? Or have you experienced peace with God, his forgiveness and his freedom? But also, have you, are you experiencing then the peace of God? Guess what? I don't, I don't think Christians have any more or less worry than the rest of the world. But, but we have access to a resource where we can come to him with the things that we're afraid of. We can come to him with the things that we're worried about. We don't need to give in to despair. We can say, God, this is what is troubling me. I'm afraid. And in your weakness, he'll bring his peace. He will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Or you think about this idea of taking up the shield of faith. Now, for a Roman soldier... A shield would have been about a a two-foot by four-foot piece of wood, a thick plank of wood. And they would stand it up in the ground as a shield, literally from flaming arrows that would come their way. And I think about that, that that my faith, my trust in God in the midst of these fiery, fiery flames of life that come my way, my faith will guard me, will help me. And then he says, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. What does it mean to put on this helmet of salvation? What is he talking about? Well, this idea that that I know that I'm rescued, that I'm God's child, that I've been forgiven, that I know where I'm going. I have his salvation in my life. I've settled that. I don't know if you've ever played football. (laughs) 
I played football in high school and in junior high. And I was sometimes bad and sometimes I was okay. But two pieces of equipment, my shoulder pads and my helmet, those two things sort of gave me an abundance of, of, of overconfidence. <laughs> I thought I was indestructible in some ways. You know, and, I, and then I got hit, right? And that kind of changed me. But there was something about it that I had confidence that I could be in the battle and I was going to be okay. Some of you need to know that. You need to settle your stuff with God so that no matter what happens to you in this life, you know where you're going. You know whose you are. You know what hope you have. Have you put on that helmet of salvation? And lastly, are you using the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? Are you making that more and more a part of your life? In fact, it sort of ties all these other things together. You want to be an attractive sort of magnet for God's strength and His power? Use His resources Humble yourself. Put it on. Act in such a way that you believe this. And then he says this. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I may that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You want to experience God's power? He says, pray. Pray. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a place in your life, I know I have, where you felt like you were just reduced, you didn't know what else you could do, you wanted to do something, but you couldn't do anything else, and so you thought, well... I guess I just have to pray. I've been there. Maybe that's where God exactly wants you. Maybe that's the place where he can actually use you. There's something about being in that place where we speak our need for God, but we also begin speaking on behalf of others, and it unleashes God's power, his grace, in circumstances and in ways that we cannot understand or fathom. We pray. We pray. I gotta tell you, friends, you know the thing that most recently has deepened my prayer life? Being a parent of young adults I think I got an amen in, in Grundy. <laughs> I mean, it is true. I've never been so humbled. Who are these people? And why are they doing the things that they're doing? I mean, it's crazy. And now I think every parent goes through it. I'm sure my parents did with me. However, it's been very humbling, friends. Very, very humbling. 
And I was like, I don't know what to do, God. And I literally read Ephesians 6, verse 4, and this is what God spoke to me. He spoke it. It's like clear as a bell. He spoke it. He said, fathers, do not exasperate your children. I thought, God, you know what? I just want to have a relationship with my kids. I want them to know that I care for them deeply. I want them to be in my life. I want to be in their life. Help me to be that kind of guy, that kind of dad. I need it. I need it. I'm not strong enough. I don't know what to do. A couple weeks ago, it was my birthday. That's not the point of this, but <laughs> if you want to say happy birthday later, that's fine. You know, one of our children, we've been journeying. We've been journeying together, right? It's been hard. And this card came in the mail. And it's not so much what it says, okay? But it's the context. It's everything that went around it. And the fact that God spoke that word to me. I just want to be in relationship. And she said the same thing. When we are weak, that's when God's strength has a chance in our lives. When we're vulnerable, when we're honest, when we're willingness, willing to say, God, I need your help. I am not strong enough. That's when his power can be unleashed in you and through you. Let's pray. God, I don't know what all we find ourselves in this room facing today. But my guess is many of us have been carrying burdens that um, we're not intended to carry or fighting battles that only you can fight. So I would pray, I would pray your grace and your mercy and your strength would come be with us. Help us in the midst of our own struggle. Whatever that is, God. May we be strong because you are strong in us, because we are seeking you first. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.